So as I said, if you would turn to Mark chapter 5, if you're new to our church, my name is Jim, and uh, it's a great privilege to be the pastor of uh, this location of Woodside. And um, we've been in a series the last, I don't know, six weeks, I believe, in Mark chapter 3, 4, and now in 5, uh, looking at the kingdom of God. And um, in a series that we've been calling the King, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives. And so... Uh, as I said every week, the point is not just to talk about the kingdom of God moving forward everywhere else, and we like to talk about pushing forward the kingdom and moving the kingdom, but it's really easy to look at everyone else and every place we're at rather than looking at, like, how is the kingdom of God moving in me? How is the kingdom of God taking ground in me? How is the kingdom of God pushing forward in my own soul? What does that look like? And so when we say, thy kingdom come, yes, I firmly believe and long for the kingdom of God to move in Lake Orion, in Oxford, in Rochester, Auburn Hills. Clarkston, wherever we're from, really the entire world. But if that happens and the kingdom of God does not move in my own soul, what is it worth? Thy kingdom come, not just in the world around me, but in me. And it's no different. Last week, you know, we had this amazing time of talking through that God still, Jesus himself, still reigns over the demonic world. And if you don't believe that there's a demonic world, I'll share personal testimony like I did last week. Come have a conversation with me. That, that, that Satan is alive today in a veiled condition where we can't see, and he's doing everything he can to overthrow you, your family, and everything you have to steal, kill, and destroy, just as what Scripture says. And what does it look like for us to engage with that as Jesus is still reigning over the demonic world? And Really, this whole section of scripture, if you look at it, is just a picture that Jesus still reigns over the demonic, death, and disease. And today we're just moving to those second two things in death and disease, starting in, in verse 21 through 43 of chapter 5. But before we jump into the text together, I just want to ask you a question regarding some of what we are going to look at today. And my question is, man, when you look at certain parts of scripture, specifically, I'll just call out Hebrews chapter 11. You read Hebrews 11 and it says the, uh, that faith, the definition of faith in scripture is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You hear me on that? The assurance of things hoped for, so in the future, our hope is in Jesus. It's not hoping that the lions beat the ravens today. We know that's going to happen. Right? It's not hoping that our team is going to win. We're hoping to get something nice for Christmas. No, it's hope is an assurance that one day we will be with Christ. That's the faith that we have, but it's not yet seen, right? Well, I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes that kind of faith is really easy to talk about in church, isn't it? It's pretty challenging sometimes to live out in everyday life. I don't know about you. We just sang a song just a moment ago that, that we, we serve the same God who did all these Old Testament unbelievable things, right? And then you read the New Testament, even the story we're going to look at today. And, and maybe I'm the only one, but I just want to ask you, do you ever struggle sometimes to believe that that really happened? You ever struggle to believe... Yeah, we serve the same God who parted the Red Sea, but I ain't never seen the sea parted. Man, yeah, we believe that God can heal, but man, I don't know. Sometimes I really wrestle to believe that that's true. 
Man, I, I believe that God can do whatever he wants because he's ruling and reigning and he is a God alive and well today doing exactly what he did in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but maybe I'm just the only one, but I, I feel like sometimes I struggle to just be like, yeah, that's, that's 100%. I, I, with unequivocally, no problem, every day, I'm just like, yep, totally. Or maybe you're like me, sometimes that's a challenge. And my faith is not always perfect. And sometimes I wrestle and struggle. God, do you still work in this way? And today as we look at the ending of our series in Mark 5, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to look at two stories wrapped up in one that presses on that idea that maybe, you know, we, we, we need to have faith to believe that God still heals today. Do you believe that? Do you believe God still heals today? few of us. We believe that God is still powerful today to restore your life, to restore your relationships, to restore your mental health, to restore who you are. I think many times we have a crisis of belief that we meant, do we really press into? Because if we believe it, we'll press into it. If we don't, we won't. Right? And so as you look at this series, or this series of stories really wrapped into one, I just want you to see that Jesus reigns over disease and death. Really simple. Last week, Jesus reigns over the demonic realm. This week, Jesus reigns over disease and death. And that's not he reigned previously. He reigns right now. I want you to leave this place today pumped up, knowing that Jesus is still on the throne and he's still doing miraculous things today. It's, he's still moving. Same God, right? And so if you would look with me. I want to read the entirety, really, of the story uh, to get down to verse 24, and then we'll come back to it, because we're going to skip around a little bit uh, today as we look at these two stories. So if you remember last week, Jesus, he casts out these demons. They run into some pigs. They go off a cliff. He says, hey, don't tell anybody. The demon-possessed man goes and tells everybody, and, 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 and all these people come, and they're kind of like, hey, we'd really appreciate if you leave our area, okay? That kind of power, we don't know what that kind of power is like. No one was able to do anything for this young man. You did it, and you killed 2,000 pigs. Get out of here. So Jesus leaves. He gets in a boat, and he leaves from there. And then if you look with me in verse 21, read down to where we're going to start today. It says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, his name's Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may live or she may be well and live. And he went with him. So he's on his way. And then we come to our first part of our text we're going to look at. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touched even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. 
But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So I just want you to talk about a couple things today in light of the fact that Jesus still reigns over disease and death. And the first one is that when you see in the story of this young woman, we'll come back to Jairus and his daughter in a moment, but I want to talk about this woman with the issue of blood for a moment and see how her dignity is restored to her in this moment. That There's a restoration that happens with her in the healing of her body that only comes through Jesus. And so remember last week, again, like I said, Jesus isn't one in the town, so he leaves. He goes across the water. He, he lands on the shore, and there's a crowd of people there. And we'll come back to it in a moment, but there he meets this, this individual who's a ruler in the synagogue, and, and we'll come back to that. So he says, hey, will you come and heal my daughter? And Jesus says, let's go to your home. So they're on their way, and here in the middle of this story that, that's sandwiched about Jairus' daughter, in the middle of that, we have this woman who has an issue of blood. Now it says in the text, she's had a, a discharge of blood for 12 years. I want to get into all the details of what that is, but she's not well, and I can only imagine what she's been going through for 12 years. 12 years. And it says in the text that this woman has suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now, this is just the fun part of, te- of Scripture I love. You, when you look into it, I think there's, there's some funny things. Like when you read the Gospel of John, John repeatedly tells us that he's the one that Jesus loved. He tells all the time that he ran faster than other people. Like, I, I, it's just fun to me. Well, it's funny because the, the account of this in the Gospel of Luke tells of the same event, but he leaves out the fact that, that under many physicians, she, she, she kind of grew worse. Well, what was Luke? A physician. It's just fun for me. I'm like, this is, this is funny, right? But the point is, is this woman in the text, but it's pointing out, has had this issue of blood and she's without any resources. She's, she's at her wit's end. There's nothing else she can do. She spent all of her money, all of her resources to try and find healing. And, and she's seen every physician. She's tried to fix the problem with every earthly resource she has. And in every one of them, rather than getting better, she's grown worse. And it seems as though she's beyond what she can fix on her own beyond what resources she has, her own understanding, she's at her wit's end and she can do nothing about her situation. Like I've spent all my money on medical bills and there's no doctor that can fix my issue. I've spent all my mental capacity trying to fix this physical ailment that I have and there's nothing that will heal me. No, I just wanna, Mark doesn't point to it here but I want you to see it in the text. There's more than just her having this issue of blood, which would have been tremendously overwhelming and caused her to be ill. There's a whole other element to this, right? Mark doesn't allude to it here, but it's there nonetheless. It's not just harmful to her physical health, but she would have also been ceremonially unclean. If you know what that means is, is that and the woman in that time of the month, was, they would be considered unclean. And this woman has been living that way for 12 years. So she is unable to partake in certain ceremonies. She's unable to be around certain individuals. She's, she's in a place of being unclean for 12 
years. So it's not just a physical ailment. It's a mental problem. It's an emotional problem. It's even a spiritual problem, as she wouldn't have been able to partake in certain ceremonies of worship. And so she is in a, uh, a detrimental place for 12 years. And so then when you look at it, you're like, man, why didn't she just run up to Jesus like Jairus, is, uh, like Jairus did about his daughter? Well, it might make a lot more sense that she didn't, because she was unclean, she didn't want to risk being rebuked face-to-face, right? By, by maybe the disciples or other people. She, she just thought, maybe if I could touch the, the garment that he's wearing, I believe that Jesus is, and I'm kind of obscure in this group, this crowd that's pressing in all around him. If I could just touch his garment, maybe I'll be healed, She secretly, maybe behind the scenes, man, felt ashamed of her condition or feared the crowds of the disciples saying, why are you touching a rabbi being unclean? Because now he would now be unclean. And so it makes sense, maybe why she's approaching it the way she is. Then here she is, regardless of her motivation, when she touches Jesus immediately, she's healed. That's the beautiful news for us today. Immediately. She, she immediately feels that she's healed and, 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 and she's overwhelmed by that in a moment. What's more fascinating is that Jesus says, hey, who touched me? And the disciples are like, hey, I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful, Rabbi, but are you losing it? Because there's people all over. Right? It's like you going to a football game and there's just people everywhere trying to get to their seat and people are brushing up against you all over the place and Jesus is having the same type of experience and in a moment he's like, hey, who touched me? And the disciples are like, dude, everybody's touching you. What, what are you talking about? But no, he's saying there's something different. It's not just someone who touched me. What's fascinating, and one commentator pointed out, I think it's right on, is that she wants something, she wants a cure, but Jesus desires a personal encounter with someone. Jesus is never about just doing miracles for miracles' sake. He's always about encountering or people encountering a living God through their experience or their miracle. He is not just okay with, okay, she got healed. I know who it is. I'm just going to keep trucking because there's a girl that needs my help. No, Jesus, what's most fascinating to me in the text is that there is a young girl, we know in the text, she's 12 years old, and she is profoundly sick on the brink of death. And in all of that, Jesus is unhurried to get to that place to, to walk by people who need him in the moment. That's just for us free today who live in maybe the most fast-paced, hurried, busy, crazy life, and there are people all around you, neighbors, coworkers, your own children, who desperately need you in a moment, but you're so hurried to get to the next thing because it's so important, and God has something for you right here. And that's exactly what I love about Jesus. He's never hurried or worried. Like, oh no, if I don't get there, I won't be able to help this girl. No, Jesus is never worried about that. In the moment, there is someone who desperately needs him, and he stops and pauses in his craziness to engage. That's a word for me, because I am the most sporadic, crazy-minded, all-over-the-place, get-to-the-next-thing kind of person. And there have been profound times in my life, I'll just be completely honest with you, I'm sure you've had him as well, where the Spirit of God has said, Jim, hey, that person I think needs time with you. And I'm like, well, I'm busy. Hey, Jim, why don't you pull over? That person might need your help. Eh, I'm sure someone else will help them. 
And I am constantly hurried by the craziness of life. Even times when my own kids want to just sit with you for a moment, but you're just busy to move to the next thing. And may we be more like Jesus, alive to the moment, not looking for the next thing where we have to get to, knowing that there are people that need our presence, not just whatever they're looking for. They need our presence, our full attention. Not someone who's homeless, here's 20 bucks, have a good life, but maybe just to sit down with them, look them in the eyes because no one has in years because people just pass by them every single day and say, hey man, how are you doing today? Nonetheless, Jesus is not hurried in any of it. He, he, he in a moment stops to encounter with this young girl and he calls her something significant. It may not seem significant, but he says, daughter. Now that may not seem significant to you and it doesn't seem significant to me at first reading. Familial language is all throughout the New Testament, brothers and sisters in Christ, where, uh, you know, all these different things. Well, he says daughter here. This is the only place, this is fascinating, the only place in all of the gospels where Jesus uses the phrase daughter. In those moments, we pause and we go, okay, what's happening here? I, I firmly believe that Jesus is taking a moment to make it clear that her faith, the faith of this young woman, has made her whole, not some magic trick or some magic garment that Jesus is wearing, but your faith, as he says in the text, right? He, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He doesn't say, hey, thanks for touching my garment. Have a great day. No, daughter, not woman with an issue of blood, how many of you have read the story before and know it as the woman with the issue of blood? How many of us say, this is the story about the rest restored daughter? Our perspective, Jesus wanted to firmly know, you're no longer some woman with an issue of blood. You're no longer some, some broken individual that has to be put on the outside. You're no longer someone who probably can't have children. You're no longer some woman who no man wants to be with. You're no longer all of these things that society has placed on you. Your dignity is restored. You are now a daughter. And what's unbelievable is this is what Jesus does. He restores in our life. I mean, for you here today, or if you're joining us online, how many of you have been at your wit's end in life in certain places? So many times in my life, I'm at my wit's end. I've tried to make something better. I've tried to become a better husband. I've tried to, you know, do all the things that I feel like I need to do. And at certain points, I come to my wit's end. Or maybe you're here today, you're joining online, and your physical ailment, you've at your wit's end. There's nothing that any doctor can help you with. There's no one can help you. You're in a place where you're just at the end of all of it. And you're just like, I can't do anything else. Can I tell you? Most of the time, we find Jesus at our wit's end, and I think God uses it in amazing ways because he brings us to a place where we no longer can do it on our own. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of knowledge. There's no amount of relational equity. There's no amount of clout that can restore the brokenness in you mentally, spiritually, physically, or else. And the only place that we are driven to is our knees to go before a holy God who can actually change our situation. God uses it like that so many times in our lives. But man, for the believer here in the room or online, can we just go to a place where rather than continually only going to God at our wit's end, we go to God at the beginning? Sure, we see doctors when we're, we get a bad prognosis, but before we go to see a doctor, we see a holy God who can change our situation before we see a doctor. 
We go to a, a holy God that, uh, that uses like modern medicine to heal our bodies. We go to a holy God that can restore our marriage before we figure out all the things, the books we need to read. We go to a holy God that can restore relationship with people that has been broken before we try to find a mediator. We go to a holy God to try to fix our, our, our emotional state or our brokenness in whatever situation we're in, rather than seeing some guru who can fix what we have. How many times do you and I go to God last at our wit's end rather than at the front end, knowing that he is the one that can ultimately change our situation every single day? I wonder how many of you here today, and I'll just be completely transparent, are struggling and in need of restoration. Today, your your restoration might be physical. I'll just be completely blunt. I believe that God is a God who can heal you today. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not doing it just because Jim asked or some other person asked or you asked. But I believe firmly that God still heals miraculously today. I believe that God is a God who heals mentally, miraculously. I believe that God is a God who heals emotionally, miraculously. I believe that God is a God who restores families and restores relationship and restores all the way it's supposed to be and intended to be in his great providence. You know the difference is the woman came to Jesus. And your response today in your brokenness, maybe you're here today again, someone in your past experiences or, or, or what you've done, you feel a lack of dignity and worth. And you would never in this group of people come forward and be like, Jim, I need restoration. Can I just tell you, who cares about what anyone else thinks? Who cares what anyone else believes for you today? Your only response is to come to Jesus. A lack of response in coming to Jesus means you don't need Jesus. And if you're here today and you need restoration, you need healing, come to Jesus. The only place where you can experience restoration. Well, not only does he restore dignity, he, 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 he brings resurrection in life. So we're going to jump back to verse 21. In the beginning, it says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then one came of the rulers, Jairus by name, He fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And then we broke there and talked about this young woman with an issue of blood. Now we jump down to verse 35. After this woman's been healed, he says, daughter, leave. Your faith has made you well. Go and be healed. Verse 35, right after that, he says, while he was still speaking to this woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Don't, or do not fear, only believe. Man, if that's a word for us today, do not fear, only believe. No matter what situation you're in today. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. And the brother, the, James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw, uh, a, saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And we, when he had entered, he said to, him, said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now listen to this. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside 
and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went, into the child, and went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk for she was 12 years of age. You see, he's not just one who restores, he's one who can resurrect a life. Verse 21 uh, tells us that Jesus kind of crossed this body of water on a boat to the other side, and immediately the focus shifts to this ruler in the synagogue named Jairus, and he falls at Jesus' feet. Now, this would have been very uncommon for someone of his clout to fall. You can tell he's a father in desperate need. I have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old and a 9-year-old, almost 10-year-old. I can tell you, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. If that was my daughter, I would lose all. You can see that, the emotion in the text. His daughter is at the end, and he doesn't care about what he looks like. He falls down at Jesus' feet and asks for him to come and lay his hands on him. So it shows that he believes something about Jesus. He has faith that Jesus is the one that can change their circumstances, right? And here in this moment, his authority... (laughs) is not able to help him. I mean, he's a ruler of the synagogue. That's pretty high status in the Jewish world and in the synagogue, and he's probably a teacher of the law, all this different stuff, but obviously none of that is able to help him with his situation. All of his clout, all the stuff he knows about the Bible, all the stuff he knows about God, none of that is fixing the problem he has. He may be a person of influence, but he's reminded here just again, he's a dad that is about to lose his daughter, and there's nothing that he can do. And so Jesus goes. He's on his way, right? And we, we, we have this woman encounter. We already talked about that. And as he's interacting, right, there's this emotional swing that happens, right? Run. On cloud nine, right? This woman's just been been healed. Daughter, leave. Your faith has made you whole. And in a moment, he he overhears, right? But all hope has been lost here because he paused. He says, but overhearing what has been said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. To them, hope might have been lost. To Jesus... He said, let me show you what hope looks like. Do not fear, only believe. Right? It's, it's amazing to me because in this moment, Jesus presses in, and I think it's a word for us here today, that oftentimes we believe only what circumstances we see rather than believing a God that makes all things possible. Do you know what I mean by that? Oftentimes, our belief is is driven by circumstances we see rather than a belief in a holy God that does whatever he wants, that is still able to heal, that is still able to do the miraculous. And here in a moment, Jesus says, hey, don't have fear. That's what everything around you wants you to believe. Right now in the world we're living in, everything around us wants to believe fear, 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 fear. And Jesus says, don't have fear, only believe, right, in a moment. And he takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He had many different circles. Peter, James, and John are his inner three, his closest companions. Then he had his 12. Then he had most likely 70 and maybe even 120 disciples. But Peter, James, and John are often the only ones that go with them to the Mount of Transfiguration, to these special moments because they're they're his closest brothers and really they lead forward the church after he leaves. And so he takes them with him and they're there and they hear wailing and weeping. Obviously, a young girl has just died, right? And, And he says, the girl's not 
sleep, not dead, she's only sleeping, and they begin to laugh at him. And I love Jesus, probably like, hey, I'll show you the last laugh. And he takes her mom and her dad, and he says this phrase, Talithia kumai, little girl, little lamb, little youth, arise and get up. And immediately, there's no pausing, there's no like, hey, let's see what happens. Immediately, at the word of Jesus, this young girl stands and begins to walk. When I read this text and other texts like the text of Lazarus being called out of the grave, I don't know about you, but I'm instantly reminded of my personal experience with Jesus. According to Ephesians chapter 2, this is exactly what I experienced, the resurrection of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. It says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. I don't know about you, but when you're dead, there's not much you can do about being dead. He says, but God in his mercy and his goodness and his riches made us alive in Christ Jesus. Why? So that, he says, he can show us the immense riches of what we get in him for all of the days in the future. And I'm highly paraphrasing but what, I, what I'm saying is, is that you and I, every one of us in this room, you online, if you're here today and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you and I have experienced the same exact thing spiritually. There was a day in your life when God said, the Spirit of God said, Jim, come alive. And there is something that rose in me and I placed my faith and trust in Jesus. There's someone in this place where God said, Sarah, come alive, and you did. Uh, um, Tom, come alive, and you did. And the experience we had with God is that we were dead spiritually, and the resurrection we experienced only came at the word of Jesus, the wooing of the Spirit of God, equipping us and giving us faith to place in Christ. And we've experienced this. This isn't some just outlandish thing. We are the example of this every single day. We are the example of a resurrection in Jesus. We were dead on our way opposite of, of God for all of eternity, and by his grace, he says, Jim, come alive. And for you in this place, I don't know where you're at. Sometimes I, I feel like I know where people are at, and then I'm surprised. Because I think we're all walking through different stages of life. We're all walking through different things in life. And I think there's a lot of people maybe in this room that need a spiritual resurrection in the name of Jesus. And what I mean by that is not that you've lost your salvation or whatever it might be, but you're in a place. I don't know about you, I'm always challenged by the story of Lazarus where Jesus, after three days, and they say, hey, the body probably smells, don't open that up. And Jesus says, don't worry about it, open it up. And they open it up, and he says, Lazarus. And Jesus calls his name, and many people believe he has to call him by his his name, because if he just said, come out, every person would have just come out of the grave by the power of Jesus. So Lazarus comes out hobbling, wrapped in his grave clothes, and they're like, take the grave clothes off him, he's no longer dead. He's been dead for three days, right? I'm always challenged by that passage because I wonder how many of you, like me so many times, like to live in our brokenness and our deadness and our sinful past, and we go back into the tomb where Jesus calls us out, we wrap the smelly grave clothes back on us, and we lay in the, in the brokenness of our grave rather than living in the newness of life that Jesus has offered us through his salvation. 
I wonder how many of us in this room need a spiritual resurrection because we've been walking in the ways of the world. We've been walking in the opposition of Jesus. Even though you come to every Sunday or most Sundays, you tithe, you're involved in a small group. I don't care what it is, but in your own heart of hearts, you're walking in brokenness rather than life. And today, again, you might need a spiritual resurrection where the Spirit of God is calling you to say, Jim, stop living in your brokenness and your sin. I've given you life. Jim, stop going back to that direction. You know it only brings death. Jim, come alive. Walk with me. And there's people in this place, I guarantee there's people online that need a spiritual resurrection. There's a lot of people in this room, I guarantee you, myself included, or need to go to Jesus. I imagine there's people in this place where there's a lot of hope lost. You're here, and you're trying to put on a good face, and when you see people in the lobby, you say the spiritual, how are you doing today? I'm blessed, highly favored, and um, doing really well. And in your soul, you're like, I hate life. There's nothing good about life right now. I can't handle the things that keep piling on. My call for you today is just what Jesus said. Hope is not lost. Don't fear, only believe. Not just believe that you're gonna do better, believe that you've got it all together, believe that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, believe that Jesus can change your life. That he can do the necessary things in your own life. Again, the difference is Jarius didn't go to, you know, I know all of the Old Testament and I know all this different stuff and I'm someone of clout and I'm this. No, he ran to Jesus. He only ran to Jesus because he couldn't do it himself. And I wonder how many people in this room are living in a state of need of spiritual resurrection because they're trying to do it on their own. They're trying to fix the problem on their own. They're trying to keep it in hiding. They don't want to bring it into the light. And over and over and over and over again, you can't move forward because you're not coming to Jesus for it. You're trying to do it on your own. I just want to tell you, Jesus is still not only one who restores still today, he's still one that resurrects today. And there is nothing in your life that he cannot make, bring life in. There is nothing in your life that he can't restore. There's nothing in your life that he cannot resurrect for his kingdom and his purposes. The difference is, stop sitting in the seat thinking that you can do it all, or you can press it down, or you can handle it, or one day will it get better, and run to Jesus. Fall at his feet, as Jarius did, and say, man, I can't do anything on my own. Will you help me? I need you. Well, I only have a few moments. And the last thing is we see in the story that the world is amazed, really, at what happens. In verse 42, at the second half of the verse, it says, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. His family, those there, I'm sure all those outside, as this young girl walks out alive. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. I don't have time to get into all the nuances of why Jesus keeps telling people not to tell people, but mostly, short answer, it's because it's not his time yet. He doesn't want to be overcome, where they make him the Jewish king because they've been looking for the Messiah, or it's not his time yet to die on the cross. It's not yet his time. Don't tell anyone. And we've seen, in the past, we've seen how Jesus is the one who has authority over storms and sickness and demons and even death itself, right? Right? And here now, 
People are amazed. Can I tell you, if you would just open your eyes, if I would just open my eyes, we'd be amazed at the work of the Spirit of God today. We would be amazed if we'd open our eyes and see that there is miraculous things happening every day. I've, I've been witnessing in the last six months marriages that I thought would never be healed that are miraculously healed in the name of Jesus. And it's not from human effort. People that, that had sickness that are now moving forward in health that I never thought they ever would. People that, that had relational problems and, and are in one direction and I never thought like anything was going to happen and somehow a holy God transformed their future and changed their life. If we would but just open our eyes and so many of us, like I said before, it's hard to believe because we're like, you know what? I don't know. I don't really see God moving the miraculous. He's moving miraculously every single day. Do we have the eyes to see it? And as we engage, man, when we engage with in, in, in pushing forward the kingdom of God and allowing people to see our lives that are restored and resurrected and, and moving forward in the purposes and the plans for God, the world will have gone amazed. So today, my, my, my calling for you is, man, if you have some sort of issue you're walking through and no one in this room knows about it, they need to know about it. If your marriage is in shambles and you want to keep it a secret that no one else in this place will know it, I want you to know, I need you to tell more people about it. If you're living in utter brokenness and you don't know how to move forward and you want to hide it from the world around you and the church, man, you need to let people know about it. If you're in a place where like, man, I just got this diagnosis a couple months ago, I just want to keep it to myself, I don't want to bother anyone else with it, you need to share it with more people. Because what's going to be beautiful is when the miraculous happens, when God moves to restore, when God brings new life, it's going to be a living testimony for not only this place, but in your workplace and your neighbors. Man, I don't know what in the heck happened. I don't know how in the world their marriage is lasting. And your answer is, God is good. I'm not that great, but God is amazing and he's good. When we stop pushing and suppressing that we are perfect we have no problems and we can keep it to ourselves. all of our brokenness and our hurt and our, and our health or whatever it is in the church and we start bringing it forward in the name of Jesus, more people will stand in amazement of a holy God because they actually got to witness it from front end to back end. Man, I don't know what was happening in their life, but somehow God has moved in a miraculous and amazing way. But may we be people that even in our unbelief, are challenging to believe. Man, I want you today in this place even as we leave, I'm going to challenge you today. I don't do this often, but I don't even have a ton of time, but I just want to challenge us today. I'm going to be standing right here down front. We're going to sing a beautiful song. I invite the band to come. And, man, if you're here today and you need healing or restoration, I am not a healer. I'm someone who takes God at his word. And if you're here today and you have brokenness, like you need restoration in your health, I want you to come down front. If you're someone who needs restoration in your relationships, in whatever area of your life, if you're someone who needs spiritual resurrection in your life and you just want to pray with someone, I'm not going to be the only one. I'll ask if one of our elders are in the room or uh, if you're a group leader, if you're a staff member, come down here as well. And as they sing, I speak the name of Jesus over all anxiety and brokenness. If you're here debilitated by anxiety, not knowing how to move forward, I want you to walk down and come to Jesus as a physical act that I am handing this 
this over to a holy God who is the only one who can change my circumstances. And nothing that I'm going to say that will fix it or some small group leader or elder or deacon. It's that you are giving it to Jesus, the only one who can transform your reality. The only one. So there's nothing special about you moving. There's nothing special about me. Only that we place our faith firmly that God is a God who still heals brokenness. He still restores. He still resurrects. He's still moving today. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that, what we're singing, don't be sitting there like, man, I don't want anybody. People are going to think I'm, I'm cuckoo for cocoa puffs or I'm broken or I, I don't have it all together. Who cares what anyone else believes? God, we just ask you today, and we acknowledge in this place as we have limited time, God, you are a healer. You are one who moves. You're one who restores. And I have nothing else to say, God, other than you can do the unbelievable. And so may we be people that don't fear. Rather, we say, help me, God, in my unbelief. And part of my unbelief is me walking down the aisle saying, Jim, I'm just broken. I need some help. I need, I need prayer. So God, as I say, would you move in the hearts of people as we don't name it and claim it, speak the name of Jesus. We just cast your name into this place, knowing that your name, at your name, is the only name where people will be healed, brokenness will be restored, chains will be broken in the name of Jesus. Amen.